Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Kernels of Truth brought to you by Progress Kentucky. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to cover a couple of Kentucky's breaking political news stories. Uh, then we are going to meet up with Parker Williams in the campaign corner. Parker's the new chair of the Kentucky High School Democrats. So we'll hear what they've got planned between now and November. Uh, then we are very hopeful that we will be interviewing the Reverend Shirley Harrington. Uh, who's a longtime federal official with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. She was a formal, former federal employee, labor leader. Uh, and as we're fresh from celebrating Juneteenth uh, and Emancipation Day, we thought it'd be really informative to get Reverend Harrington's views on the role the federal government plays in expanding opportunity and equality for African-Americans and the larger BIPOC communities. So that's the show. Really excited about it. We'll close out with a call to action uh, to get you engaged in the, uh, the campaign to uh, to reelect the governor. Uh, but before we get into it, are you ready? Are you ready to help turn Kentucky purple? We know, folks, that our state is deeply red. We've got a GOP supermajority that's committed to moving us backwards on pretty much everything we care about, whether that's LGBTQ plus rights, uh, whether it's the ability of unions to collectively organize for better pay, better working conditions, whether it's you know access to uh, reproductive health care, uh, whether it's democracy. So, you know, uh, opting out of really important democratic tools to ensure uh, voter access. Uh, and so, you know, we got a lot in front of us. And if you want to reverse the tide. If you want a Commonwealth that works for all of us, please join Progress Kentucky, support our campaign to turn our Commonwealth purple, make a donation at our secure Act Blue website, spread the word. We're tired of the GOP ignoring the needs of regular folk in Kentucky, and we think our Commonwealth is in fact worth fighting for. So uh, now we're going to check in with our co-hosts. Uh, let us know who you are, where you are, and what does your protest sign say today? Uh, and you there on the internet, we mean you too. So we want to know what your sign says. What are you protesting today? As they say, what do you got? Uh, but put that in the chat and we can put it on the screen. So uh, my, I'm Aaron. I'm coming to you from Childsburg, which is a lovely deed-restricted community just on the outskirts of Lexington. Uh, and my sign says, what is 40 acres and a mule worth in 2023 dollars? That's me. Uh, and I think... I think I saw we got Kimberly with us. Kimberly, are you there? Kimberly, you I'm good. How? Where are you? I'm at the wonderful Fendi store, one of my favorite stores. But this is not this is not your influencer live stream, Kimberly. I don't know where you think you are, but uh, excellent. Thank you for joining us. What's 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 your sign say today? My sign says today, hashtag vote as if your life depended on it. Awesome. And wait, I don't is I don't think there's a Fendi store in Louisville. Where are you come? Where are you calling in from? I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, getting your beach on too. I see. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Can't you tell? I've, I've gotten a little color and everything. Nice. So when I went to the beach, <laughs> I just took the day. I took the week off. You're like, no, I'm showing up. Uh, the Kentucky politics cannot be, you know, uh, put on uh, hiatus. Uh, well, we thank you for joining us. Appreciate your, uh, you know, your engagement here. Uh, all right, and I'm sure Louisville misses you. Uh, next, though, uh, our co-host Chris, Chris Priest. Hey everybody, I am here from, or in Berea, Kentucky, 
and my protest sign today says capitalism sucks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Tyrus, um, <laughs> There we go. Uh, all right, so we uh, we got a few different news stories, and then we're going to get to our campaign corner interview. The first one that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on, uh, and I don't know, uh, it's 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 a big one. Uh, apparently, uh, Andy Bashir received about two hundred and two thousand two uh, two two hundred two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, that were illegal. So campaign contributions that were linked to the Republican mayor of London, Kentucky, uh, who, uh, you know, bundled lots of family uh, contributions. This is a story that was initially broken by the Kentucky Lantern uh, last month. Uh, and now the, uh, you know, the, the Andy Bashir campaign and the Kentucky Democratic Party uh, investigated that story <laughs> and realized that, yeah, nope, this, these were illegal. And apparently the, the mayor, Randall Weddle, uh, did flag at some point, like, hey, actually, funny story about all those donations that I said for a, were from a bunch of my you know, extended family individually. They were all on my personal credit card, which that's quite a credit card, right? <laughs> uh, that's quite a limit. Uh, so they returned them, which is good, but it is definitely not an awesome look. Good to follow the law once you realize it's been broken. Uh, they did say that uh, they have now put in place uh, kind of a simple process by which they look at the credit card numbers and see if they're in excess of donation le limits, which, you know, $2,100 is the individual campaign limit. Uh, for directly to a, a, a political campaign, you can make a, a contribution of up to fifteen thousand dollars to the Kentucky Democratic Party or a, a, a party. Uh, but anything above that, uh, you know, that's breaking the fundraising limit rules, and so they they refunded them, which is great. I'm really glad to see the Lantern doing their job, doing a good job of you know watchdogging these candidates. Very interested to see what kind of you know, uh, what kind of links we're seeing on either side of the aisle between the co campaign contribution and the, you know, the kind of clear political outcome. And again, I'm not really sure, you know, what Weddle's uh, family was all about in terms of why that, you know, why they gave to the, uh, the other party, right? So that just seems a little bit odd that Randall Weddle uh, and his, uh, his company, which I think is a reverse logistics company so handles returns to uh amazon uh wb transport uh and he is not you know saying anything the media is reaching out and he's not saying much uh and uh the, the campaign is saying that you know we figured it out it was live for us we learned the news like you all did and returned it but definitely a little bit interesting when you know the, the office of the attorney general would be the one that would investigate that so that wouldn't be political law, right? So Dan Cameron's office, as he's running for governor, will be the one that could investigate whether and how these uh, laws were broken and whether it was intentional and, and what the story was. But yeah, definitely a bit of uh, a concern, a, not a great look, and one that it seems like very clearly odd, odd that a Republican in Kentucky would be making 
massive contributions to the governor, the Democratic governor in his reelection uh, effort. So. This this has to be a prank. <laughs> this has to be a prank where he's like, oh, I'm going to give you so much money, like, you know, bigly money. And, you know, it's going to be 200 and whatever thousand dollars. You're going to plan your, you know, part of your campaign around having all this. Oh, wait, that's all on my credit card. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. It's a story I did not expect to hear uh, from, you know, straight arrow Governor Andy Bashir. That is just an unseemly weird thing. So, yeah. Uh, all right. So, Kimberly, are you there? Do you want to weigh in on this one? All right. Kimberly is apparently trying on shoes. Actually, I don't even know. What what does Fendi make? Just like I have no idea. Bags. Uh, <laughs> I know nothing about that store. Never heard of it until just just now. Uh, all right. Well, then. Uh, so I do think that uh, she would have things to say, uh, but we don't. We can't really talk about it right now. So <laughs> we'll get it. We're, we'll get our views later. Uh, all right. Uh, and then, Chris, you got another story. I think you're going to bring to us from the Lantern. We do love the Lantern. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we know that uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and here in Kentucky, uh, we have banned abortion, and uh, Planned Parenthood did have a, uh, a lawsuit that was going to challenge this, uh, but earlier this year, um, the Supreme Court ruling uh, sharply limited providers' right to pursue the case, Finding they lack standing uh, to pursue um, to pursue the claims, and so basically, what what they want them to do is to find someone who has been harmed by this. So someone has to be harmed first, according to this judge uh, or the the Supreme Court, um, before they will hear a case about this. Um, now, this is not uncommon an un uncommon practice when it, when it comes to these kinds of, of suits. Um, I certainly don't like that they want someone to be harmed by it because, you know, it's inevitable that someone will. And we certainly hear uh, court cases all the time that are not, um, th that are brought pretty early and, and challenged and like, okay, yeah, this is clearly unconstitutional. And they move on without having someone who has been quote unquote you know harmed by um, by whatever that that law is. So um, you know this is this is just something that's going to delay the lawsuit. So yes, uh, technically they've they've had to pull back, um, and they will be waiting and biding time until you know they find someone who has been harmed and is willing to sue. Uh, so the the. The person that is that is harmed is will have to be willing to go up and face all of this pressure and media attention and everything um, in order to bring this case forward, um, which, uh, which which sucks that they can't just do it without because we know what it's going to do. Um, so yeah, uh, and and you know this is also to remind us that hey you know. Um, just because we we passed that amendment uh, in the last election to say that that um, you know that, that our constitution uh, 
doesn't remove uh, abortion access. You know, it doesn't explicitly state that there is, but it doesn't state there isn't. Um, then, you know, we still have to go through the legal um, system to uh, to make sure that we have that access. So it's it's not restored yet. The fight is still going on. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. So this is where the fight is legally at the moment. Yeah. It's a setback and it's unfortunate, right? I know legal standing is a, you know, a really important concept and one that, you know, they rarely cut corners on, but it does feel like this is, well, obviously the abortion clinic themselves have been harmed by the, you know, like if their job was to do a thing that now they say they can't do, how is that not harm? Right. Uh, If you've been precluded from doing, you know, providing services, uh, that seems to me like harm. But I guess, you know, we'll need to have that Oklahoma experience where the woman was told to go bleed out in the parking lot when she had a non-viable pregnancy that they could not uh, act on. Doctors could not act on because of, you know, their horrible backwards uh, anti-abortion laws. Uh, So, yeah, it's, you know, it'll happen. As you say, Chris, it's going to happen. Uh, And it's just unfortunate that, you know, that this is where we are. Uh, and yeah, I'm so just disgusted by, you know, the, the clear intent of the go- voters and amendment two, you know, statewide was that, nope, we want there to be a constitutional protection for abortion access in our state com- constitution. That, you know, that's what the, the voters said, uh, which of course, Dan Cameron immediately ignored and said, oh yeah, no, we, we know better. And now the courts are saying, you know, like are, are putting in, uh, I would argue, unnecessary hurdles in determining, you know, what actually, uh, the, you know, the, the constitution does say. So, um, it does apply to me like, Oh, if they were going to put something on the, on the ballot that said, we need to add language to say that there's no constitutional protection for an abortion, then, well, I guess the inverse must be true, uh, that there was before. So, um, I do, you know, um, I don't know if Kimberly's with us or not. Uh, I see, Nope, I don't see Kimberly's uh, shining face. So I'm going to move on to our next segment. Uh, very exciting uh, that uh, that we've got our, our our campaign corner segment. Uh, this is a uh, you know something we do every once in a while just to check in you know with uh, folks who are are making waves in the state of Kentucky. Uh, and so this is a young man who uh, you know came to our attention recently. Uh, our uh, our fantastic producer Annabelle. Uh, Nagel flagged that there's new life, new leadership, exciting times for the uh, Kentucky High School Democrats. So Parker Williams, new chair of the Kentucky High School Democrats, welcome to Kernels of Truth. Thank you for having me. Well, hopefully I'll be, well, currently I'm only the interim chair. So, oh, okay. You're the interim chair. So we're. You're in that position right now. Yes. So formulize, uh, reform, uh, yeah, get the organization going again. Yeah. Um, and then, then at some point when it's in fact intact and functioning, you'll have a vote. Yes. But most likely how it's will pan out is I'll be reelected or elected, um, to officially be the chair. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. So what kind of, how did you, uh, come to be a high school Democrat? Like what, you know, cause Obviously, Democrats are super sexy, and everyone's really excited about being a Democrat. You're like, you know what? As a high school student, I really want to get involved with partisan politics. What what led you to this? Yeah, so my 
biggest, what I originally started in politics was really during the COVID pandemic. Um, when Bashir was doing everything and he was being attacked by the right for what he was doing to protect us. And that's how I got interested into it. But um, how I joined High School Democrats was earlier this year, mid-April, I had <laughs> just um, stumbled upon it on Facebook. And I was like, this looks cool. So I signed up and everything, um, figured out, oh, we don't have an active chapter here in Kentucky. Our last person was, our last chair was Annabelle before she had graduated high school. Um, so I had contacted the Southeast Regional Director for HSDA. And then she got me in, con in contact with the vice chairs and the chair. Um, and then mid-May, it was Saturday on May. I they were like, "Hey," they messaged me like, "Hey, you're appointed." I'm like, well, okay, because um, I wasn't expecting to be appointed yet. Because I was like, maybe it's gonna be a few months. Um, especially since K Kentucky doesn't didn't have one, um, didn't have an active chapter, and we didn't have enough local chapters to officially become active because um, we only had two technically but well we i'm were... glad you stepped up it's really exciting um you know tell us a little bit like what do you got planned between now and november like what do you what do you guys want to do and how you want to do it yeah so right now we really need to just focus on membership um and expanding our reach out to the more just out we just need to expand and get more chapters. Um, right now, I'm speaking with somebody in Davis County to get the Young Dems High School chapter there registered. And then I'm working on three here in Fayette County to get them registered, as long, along with <laughs> building a chapter at my high school. Um, but other than that, we are trying to get in we are getting in contact with these camp with campaigns um up and down the ballot seeing is there anything we can do can our members help you what do you need fantastic uh, and i'm sure their answer is yes yeah and we need we need canvassers we need callers we need texters we need all, all these great things so so fantastic and uh Chris, uh, you know, I know as a teacher, you've got to be excited to see this kind of youth engagement. Do you have any questions for Parker? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I teach high school chemistry. Um, so uh, what what grade are you in? I'm going, so I'll be entering my sophomore year next year. Oh, nice. Uh, that's awesome that you're getting engaged now. You're going to have uh, some a, a nice amount of time to, to really build up the program uh, and hand it off to, to someone, you know, after, after you. Um, and so I'm curious, like, it, it sounds like you're getting a, a, a good amount of engagement and excitement from, from the Democrats, uh, to get you going and, and have you some, uh, some support there. 
what kind of other reactions are you getting that aren't from the, uh, the from the establishment? Um, I personally do know the. I went to the Fayette County Democratic meeting, um, the executive meeting last two two Thursdays ago. Um, and they were honestly very surprised because they had never heard of this organization as it was not very known throughout the state and throughout the nation. Uh, we are only nationally, we only have 12,000 members out in that. And I think there's gotta be 1 million high schoolers at least. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to take some work. And I think, you know, what I would imagine is that, uh, you know, now's the time, right? I think a lot of students were super outraged by what the GOP supermajority did with SB 150. Uh, so, if, you know, if you want to fight back against SB 150, you've got to make that con clear connection. Well, then you have to elect Democrats. <laughs> like the only yeah. way you're going to make things better in Kentucky is to change who is in charge of the legislature because they, the Republicans made it very clear what their agenda is. The only people who were standing up to them were Democrats uh, and some like former Republicans who were like, what is wrong with you people? But you know, the active, you know, membership, uh, even if they were so torn about the, the votes ended up going along, you know, by and large. Right. So uh, I appreciate, you know, Parker, what you're doing great to hear that a sophomore at steam is like doing this work um you know i asked my daughter if she was interested and she's like what <laughs> no. uh she i think and she she definitely is with you on sb 150 and all sorts of other issues but you know putting that together to get involved with politics directly is, is a leap uh so really excited to, to have you how can people get involved if you've got you know people that are not like my daughter or maybe my daughter will think about it later uh like what how can they get involved what's the way to, to, to support yeah. Um, so on our Instagram, which is KYHS Dems, we have a link tree and then that has all of our information. I think our third link is our membership form, which is how you can register officially as a Kentucky High School of Democrat. And also in that you can, there's a link to register as a national member. Um, and if you head a local chapter or want to, there's ways to do that. Um, my email is on there, so they can always send me an email. Or sometimes, in the rare occasion, I'll give you give my phone number. Um, Don't do it now. Don't do it here. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, for sure. Maybe Chris uh, will be talking to his students at some point, and maybe he'll find somebody who, like, you know, uh, wants to get involved. But yeah, that's awesome. Uh, really appreciate you joining us. We will put uh, the links uh, to your Instagram account and to the link tree uh, in our show notes so people can uh, can see that there. Oh, I do want to just realize, it uh, looks like we've got Kimberly. So uh, maybe, we, maybe we have Kimberly. Maybe Kim Kimberly's shopping excursion continues. Uh, we, so we, uh, it does look like, though, we have our next guest. So uh, we actually did just share out your Instagram handle, uh, and I think we'll get the link tree out there too. Again, Parker, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your leadership, uh, and good luck with the effort. Uh, thanks for having organizing. Me. First rule of organizing, Parker, is first replace yourself. 
you got to constantly be recruiting, build that next person to step up. And that's the challenge with, you know, a, a high school Democrats, right? It's like that, that treadmill is constantly churning. Uh, you don't have that long yeah. to find your next replacement, but, uh, but great work. So glad you're here and we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Good job, Good Parker. Keep it up. All right. So now really excited uh, that we're going to be joined by the Reverend uh, Shirley Harrington, uh, who is an amazing pioneer. Reverend Harrington was a member of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement as a child, where she knew Medgar Evers. Uh, later, she was the first African-American hired by the National Weather Service's Jackson, Mississippi office. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, not the easiest place to break through at that time, uh, but that launched a long career with the federal government, 32 cumulative years with a, a break in the middle to work as a CEO of a private company and a grassroots consultant. She was a federal employee labor union leader, uh, the first woman president mm -hmm. of AFGE Local 3599, serving seven states. Uh, she became a sought-after voice for increased diversity and expanded opportunity for African-Americans within the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, U.S. Department of Agriculture. She has been an adjunct professor. She now serves as uh, Cade Chapel Missionary Baptist Church as the lead minister for social witness and responsibility to the over 2,000 member congregation uh, in her, uh, her hometown of Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome, Reverend Harrington. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Kernels of Truth. Well, it's my pleasure. I am really happy to be in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are having a great time in our annual Congress of the National Baptist Convention. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for taking a break from the, you know, I'm sure uh, high energy, lots going on there at the convention, but I love that you're just right down the road, can bring you, uh, bring your your perspective to us here in Kentucky. Uh, so I just want to say, like, you know, one of the reasons we kind of reached out because we just celebrated the third Juneteenth as a federal holiday, which was, uh, yes. as we know, created by the Biden-Harris administration to mark the very long time commemoration of June 19th, 1863. Uh, when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation, marking the end of slavery in the U.S. and really just the beginning of the the process of gaining freedom uh, for African Americans, with your amazing history with both the Civil Rights Movement, uh, also the federal government, uh, we were really excited to have you on to hear your thoughts about you know about maybe less about Juneteenth, but more about the federal government's role. Uh, in ensuring, uh, you know, the kind of the expansion of opportunity, uh, the, the, the role of government in uh, incre increasing diversity uh, within federal agencies. You know, what is your long career in the with the federal government kind of teach you about what the feds need to be doing uh, in that space? What I'm able to share with younger people now and continue to educate our general public about is that even though we've made tremendous gains over the past couple of hundred years, and then uh, definitely since the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and, and then um, how we've been able to secure employment, and even we see some breaks in traditional leadership in our federal government. And of course, like the state of Mississippi, we have the largest number of local and county African-American elected officials, it is a continuous battle, not only just getting people elected, 
but getting the right people elected, uh, making sure that people who are going into offices, making sure that people who are serving us in our federal government are committed to the community, are concerned about the least, the left out and the lost. The disenfranchisement of so many segments of our country can be seen from anything if we were talking about HHS and the supply of and information about various health programs, or if we're talking about still the Department of Agriculture and the access to loans for uh, African-American or Hispanic farmers, or even if we're talking about the Justice Department and whether or not the new enactment of laws that they have created to try to help veterans who have gotten into serious legal uh, problem because they have been arrested, if they have uh, drug abuse issues or if they come back and because our government has taught them to fight so well, they are involved with domestic violence and then they get into the justice system. So we're seeing our government come up with new programs that are family friendly, but the access, the knowledge of those programs is the greatest issue. In the past two days here at our National Baptist Convention, we have had representatives from HHS, that's the Health and Human Services Division, and the United States Department of Agriculture talking about how communities can access grants, how they should go after services and funds that have been allocated through state governments. And that is part of the issue. We still have a tremendous gap of understanding between state governments and in many states where there are more conservative leadership we can have the federal funds allocated, but then they still do not get down the pipeline to service the communities that actually need it. That, that, those are fantastic points. And I think, you know, more and more, it seems like the federal government understands that there are just so many kind of inherent barriers. They can understand that there are so many inherent barriers between the yes. programs and the people they seek to serve, that they are That's seeking true. to address some of those with, uh, you know, NOFOs and other FOAs. Uh, We're seeing, you know, the kind of navigator role being uh, yes. put more and more programs, which I think can really help communities understand how to deal with these, you know, fairly cumbersome federal programs that are, that, created well-intentioned, but I think you, 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 you put the nail on the head, right? So the states can, can block uh, access to these and there can be kind of institutional barriers erected at the state and local level uh, to keep those federal programs. And you know, you live in Mississippi, I live in Kentucky. There are, there are bad actors uh, in some of these positions you know, seeking to stand in the way or take advantage of these programs. And it, I, again, I, I think back to the fact that the Juneteenth piece, like can't really march the army in so much to, to force some of these things. But, you know, we've seen like, I don't know, the Department of Justice showing up in Louisville to do that, you know, that consent decree That's to ensure right. that, mm -hmm. you know, the needs are being met, right? So the feds play a huge role, uh, even if we're not marching armies in anymore. Uh, but it's, and, it's, and, you know, the, the, the sad part about what's happening with federal government and the tremendous, I call it the battle of good and evil 
because that's really what it boils down to is how people think about access and whether or not people have the love in their heart for all people or is it just for select groups. And when you have governmental officials who do not have love in their heart, you know, they, they could care less about communities, but are more concerned about getting reelected and are, are staying in office. That's the barrier. That's the greatest barrier. I salute the young man that just took that tremendous step to become an activist at a very early age. And I suppose that gives me a segue to talk about some of the work that I'm doing with young people, because during the pandemic, you know, all of us were required to stay at home in isolation. And the spirit just said to me, it was time for me to write a book. And I wrote about being grown at 13. What did it feel like to be an activist on the front line when Megar Evers got killed? All of a sudden, I didn't feel like a child anymore. I felt very responsible. I felt like we had to do something as young people. And I became a leader in the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, known as the NAACP. And what I'm teaching young people now from my book, Grown at 13, is, thank you, is that they too can become activists. You don't have to wait till you get 25, 30 years old to decide that there are social responsibilities. Because just like you were telling the young man, uh, the, the foot soldier work, that, that passing out flyers, going door to door, making phone calls, those are things that require a lot of energy. And we need more young people getting involved and accepting that social responsibility equates to human rights. And that the more you get involved at the local level, where changes really need to be made. If you look at your county governments and your local governments, uh, look at who is making the decision about which organizations will get money to help homeless. How much money is being allocated in a local community for veterans who are on the street who need housing? How many local communities are looking at the suicide rate among young people? We are in a season of our nation where we have more young people committing suicide than ever in the history of our nation. And it will take young people, just like they moved out a few years ago to talk about climate control and what we're gonna do to save our earth. Right now, we need to be talking about a new civil rights movement on mental health. How are we going to change the disparity, the isolation, the anger, of this last generation, you know, they call it Generation Z and the Generation X, their non-communication because they have been brought up in technology age that does not require them to talk to others. So we have a job to do. We still have quite a responsibility in connecting to each other. So that's what I talk about in Grown at 13. It, there's a, a, a uh, a process in that book that's called Seen, C-E-N of life. 
That's coalition building, exchanging with each other and information. And how do we teach our children to network, network across communities, network across ages, and then awesome, awesome network that they need to do is across racial lines. Wonderful, uh, wonderful. I, I want to pull in Kimberly here, our wonderful co-host. It looks like she's uh, paused her shopping excursion. Uh, and I know that we would not have you on the show this week without uh, her connection. So Kimberly, what did you want to say? Only you, Miss Shirley Carrington, would I come out of the Fendi store for, okay? Oh, no. So... <laughs> All right. So I still have some power, huh? <laughs> you, you got a lot of power and a lot of knowledge that I think a lot of people would be very, very blessed and happy to be able to really sit down and talk to you and have the um, instances where I have, which has really brightened my life and given me some clarity on some things. But one of the things that I would like to ask you, what if there was a young girl right now, uh, just like our Annabelle Nagel, okay? She's doing the production tonight. She's a young lady, um, really on the fast track here in Kentucky as far as politics are mm -hmm. concerned. But what I want to know is if her goal is the White House, what does that process look like? What should Annabelle do or another young person that, you know, is in the... Uh, Kentucky Young Democrats. Well, Annabelle, if you're listening to me and you can call me, because uh, Kimberly will tell you everybody has total access to me. And my book is my personal sale number. And it's because I don't believe that God has given me anything to take to heaven with me. Everything that he's given me, I need to leave it here on earth. Um, let me start with an old story. When I was six years old, I wrote on a paper in the first grade class, what do you want to be when you become grown? And I wrote, I want to be president of the United States. That was six years old. In 1956, there were no black women in any elected office to my knowledge at that time that I could mirror myself after. But I had looked at television I had looked at the framework of America and I said, why not me? And ever since that time, every step I've taken, every move I made in government, every time I had an opportunity to volunteer, every time I had a chance to be a part of a committee, I could see myself gaining experience, gaining contacts, increasing my network so that I could move up that ladder and to have served under President Clinton as a presidential appointee in the 90s was one of the greatest seasons of my life. But I can share with you, having served under three presidents as an executive manager of the federal government and being able to take information back to my community was just life-changing and now serving as a volunteer in the National Baptist Convention to share the knowledge about the 18 major departments of our federal government and how they have faith-based initiatives that we can still use throughout our country. 
So I would say to any young person that's listening to me, get involved, get within networks, meet your idols, meet your, uh, create role models who are already doing some of the things that you want to do. And if there's anybody that you consider to be famous in the United States doing what you're doing, reach out to them. You will be surprised at how accessible people are in sharing their knowledge and their experience. Because most of us who have made it past 65 or even 55, we recognize that we cannot take it with us. We have got to pass it on. That's wonderful. Uh, that was beautiful and it's so true. And the thing about it is like, that's who you really are. Yes. All, I mean, I am so true blue, uh, so true whatever color you want to make me. <laughs> I, I have no uh, filters that I'm hiding anything. I sat on the plane beside an Asian young lady who has her and her husband just been dispatched to Meridian, Mississippi. And I was telling her how to get connected in her local community, not to isolate herself. I just left a young lady at the, at the um, KEC, Kentucky Expo Center, and I was challenging her do not be complacent in the role you're in right now. She says, oh, I'm real satisfied. I said, don't be satisfied. I see in you leadership. And we must challenge our young people. We must remind them that this is still a struggle just for some people to find food on a daily basis, to have decent housing, to have someone advocate on their behalf if they are a senior citizen and can't get around. There is too much in our nation that we still need to work on. That's so true. So much wisdom. Thank you for sharing it. One question I had for you, uh, you know, in your extensive biography, so much experience, one of the things I was really impressed by was the kind of your role uh, as the head of a, of a federal employees labor union. How, how important yes. would you say the labor movement has been for the advances we've seen in civil rights and equity uh, through uh, throughout federal agencies? Well, you know, that was during such a um, robust union time. When you think about the uh, late 80s, early 90s, when I was union president, because there was so much that was not in place in the federal union sector. In fact, I have the privilege of having under my name writing the first provision for the rights of an employee because it was never in a labor agreement before uh, 1990. So we have made tremendous advances with the understanding that building coalition of employees and getting those employees to unify themselves under labels of American Federation of Government Employees, United Auto Workers, AFL-CIO, any of the unions, and especially in the federal sector, if we had not unified our forces, we would not have gained many of the uh, rights that, that federal employees have now. And the younger people don't even understand that we fought for them to have family leave. 
that they did not have for a father to have the same leave privileges uh, when a child was born, uh, for there to be a less concentration on work in the workplace and being able to work from home, especially prior to COVID. Now it's become you know, such a normal thing when you think about workplace uh, ethics and the uh, spreading of your time between the actual building and working from home. But we fought for all of those rights and those uh, uh, privileges so that we could do more concentration on family. You know, in many other cultures, there's, there's greater concentration on family. But when you have had to work two people in a household just to have a living wage, that takes away from the quality of your family time. So uh, yeah, unions have been important. Unions, I believe, are on the uprise again. Uh, there was so much uh, fight back uh, by major corporations. And so we have seen that downsurge, but I do believe that with many of the things that are happening now, we will see unification of some of the older unions, and we will probably see the establishment of some new unions. Yeah, it does. I think you're right. It feels like there's a lot of energy uh, in, that, in that space again, which is wonderful. Because uh, I think there's more gains to be had. <laughs> you guys did a good job with the federal government giving, getting that family leave. There's a whole lot of the private sector that has not met the met that challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. And do not consider the quality of family as a priority. And and I think that that's something in our culture that um, we in the spiritual realm, <laughs> those of us who are in churches and synagogues around the nation. We should be rallying and calling for greater consideration of family and quality of family time because children cannot raise themselves. They have no business going home to an empty house and many times to an empty house that does not have the quality of food and care that they need. Agree, agree. All right, so I want to give to Kimberly before she heads back into the shops. Uh, any final questions or thoughts that she wants to share? Can you all hear me? Yeah, no, we did. Okay. Um, Ms. Shirley, I just wanted to say you are such an inspiration to myself and to everyone. I know you're an inspiration to Aaron and Chris tonight and Annabelle. She can hear you. Um, I just really appreciate you and I appreciate you wanting to pour yourself out to help others because you are a very blessed woman and I know why because you care about people and you want to see people win. Well, you know, the, the bottom line about me is that I believe God put me here for a purpose. And my purpose is to care about others, to be the advocate voice for those who feel that they are voiceless, and to also be the kind of agent that represents true love. Because when you love people, you will go outside of your boundaries. You will go outside of your own personal safety to help others. And to anyone that's listening, young or old, 
this is not a time for us to rest. I know times have gotten us into the habit of isolation and feeling uh, that we cannot do certain things, but re-energize yourself, join a group, go back to church, get back in, in your favorite activist organization, do something for somebody else, and then you don't have to worry about yourself. Because what happens is the more you give, the more God gives to you. And I am a living witness of that every day. Wonderful. I want to give Chris a chance to see if he has any thoughts or a question he wants to answer you, uh, ask of you, Reverend Harrington, uh, before we let you go. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on here and talking with us, Reverend. Um, something you initially spoke about uh, that I uh, found interesting as you were talking about the disconnect between the policies of the federal government and the access of those policies to uh, to regular folks. And I'm just curious on your thoughts of, you know, if uh, if a regular person knows about one of those policies, what can they do to try to access it? Just assuming that their uh, local or state um, uh, representative is maybe just ignorant of, of that and not actually advantageous towards it. Years ago, I taught a course at Catholic University and the course was about uh, human services and the social implications. And I challenged all of the students in my class to listen to the news. They had two nights to listen to all of the issues that were being represented on the local news. And they had to come back and say, this is wrong, that is wrong. This needs somebody to speak up about. And as they identify those issues, then the next step is to research who controls the purse strings. What department has the responsibility for implementation? And once you find that out, then you start developing your network. How many people in your immediate area really care? Does your church care? Does your block captain care? Does your pastor care? Does that representative care or do they just not know? As you start to develop your network, you gain support. And the more people you rally behind any issue, any elected official, any appointed governmental entity on the local, county, or state level, they will listen. Because people rallying make a difference. So that is my suggestion to you, is do not say, I can't. I don't know how, learn, reach out, seek people who are already advocates in your community. You have a local NAACP office. You have a children's defense fund in, in your local area here. You have rights organizations. They're, they're all in your telephone book, rights for animals, rights for whatever. Those people know the same techniques that I'm talking about. And even though you're different issues, 
You may not be rallying for the rights of dogs or cats, but you may be rallying for the rights of children. You got to use the same technique, gather your information, gather your supporters, document the law that is behind it, and then write your position statement of what needs to be done and then go after it. That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Time honored right. tips of how to make change. Uh, things have not changed that much that you can't still affect change through, you know, doing the research, doing the organizing, getting the word out, uh, directly contacting those decision makers. That's Reverend, right. thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. And could I just say to What's that? I think we're having a little bit of a connectivity oh, issue. Uh, we oh, lost her for just a second. Uh, I think she was telling everyone to join Progress Kentucky. Uh, was pretty much what you're saying. Uh, or buy Grown at 13. And we'll put a link to uh, the Jackson uh, Mississippi Bookstore. You can get it from. Uh, okay. Uh, would you make that link to the H Group Foundation? That's uh, the foundation my daughter started. And all proceeds from the bo books go to workshops we're doing with young people now to get them aware that they don't have to wait till they get out of school to decide on their career options and their career paths. So we do workshops and the funds from the book go to hgroupfoundation.org. Oh, fantastic. hgroupfoundation.org. All right. We will put that in the show notes as well. Encourage folks to check that out. Uh, and again, thank you for sharing your, your views and thanks for taking some time out of your conference to come and hang out with us uh, online. Thank you so much for the opportunity. God bless. Fantastic. All right. So now we are uh, going to move to our call to action, which really we're just going to like encourage you to do what the Reverend just told you to do. Right. So uh, get involved, get engaged. Uh, that is, I think, really critical to both your own kind of your own mental well-being, your own mental health, your sense of purpose, your sense of you know, agency. Uh, and right now we're staring in the face with, you know, what do we got? We got Andy Bashir the most popular Democratic governor in the in the country, or Dan Cameron, the liar Dan Cameron. Uh, that's going to be the choice, and we need you to help ensure four more years of a compassionate Commonwealth. So what we want you to do is give us your views and work with us to expand the vote support for Andy uh, to get voters registered, to get voters out, to get voters mobilized uh, and inspired, uh, and help uh, reelect Andy and our great slate of statewide candidates. Uh, so fill out the survey. We want your views and we want your uh, your your voice to help support us. So that's what's going on uh, for our call to action. And I wanted to uh, throw it to Chris to close us out this evening. All righty. Uh, so Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State and the organiz or and organized as a 501c4. Uh, we are affiliated with the Indivisible Project, the Commonwealth Alliance Voter Engagement Cave, and are also proud members of the Forward Kentucky Network. Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. Make sure to join us next week when we'll be joining joined by a great guest and the Reverend Leah Jacobs Shade. 
uh, I hope I said that last name correctly, uh, to discuss the rise of Christian nationalism and why we should care if folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene are proud to be ex-Christian nationals. Um, production of episode 118, we've done 118 of these, uh, was by Annabelle Nagel. Thank you, Annabelle. Um, and thank you, Nate, for the theme song. And you can find more information and music at natosongs.com. If you miss our weekly live stream on Facebook, don't worry. You can re-watch shows and see our source links on Facebook. Or audio podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, logo and uh, some graphic content provided by Couchfire Media. Uh, more information can be found at firemedia.com. And end. Thank you all.